we are going to continue in our series in view of God's mercy, and we're going to focus today especially on how the mercy of God is available to us and helps us when relationships are strained and even broken. Uh, before we jump into that, I'm just curious, uh, how many of you have ever heard the joke, um, what kind of car did the first Christians drive? Does anyone know? Right? Anyone know what kind of car did the disciples of Jesus, the first Christians, drive? All right. So, uh, Pastor Randy, you may know this because you're a pastor and we like it these kind of things. What do you got? An Accord, right? They drove a Honda Accord. Let's see if I can get that picture up here. My remote's not cooperating. Uh, and the reason for that was Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says they were all in one Accord. Right? One accord. Now, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. I will keep my day job. Thank you. <laughs> the, um, so I was looking for this picture of a Honda Accord, and uh, they are much more impressive than I realized. Uh, I, I learned a couple things. Number one, the Honda's been selling the Accord here since like the 1970s, which means it was before I was alive, which that's kind of a long time in my mind. I also learned this. It's the number one car among millennials today, Right? Uh, and I don't know if it's just because you can fit a bunch of millennials, like a bunch of, a bunch of disciples into the car, or as the CNBC, uh, MSNBC article went on to say, it's because uh, they are uh, cheap. I think that's the primary thing. Hey, actually, I figured out why my remote's not working. I have the uh, thing right here, so let me hand that to you. You can slide that in the back or up top there, and we'll make that work. Okay. Uh, so... Uh, I bring that up, though, because Acts chapter 2, verse 1 tells us that the early church was united in thought and in mind. They were in one accord. And that word may not be one that we use all that often, accord. We use according or uh, in accordance with, uh, but we probably understand the basic root of what it means. It means to be together. It means to be connected. In the original Latin from which accord comes, it means to have one heart and mind. And what it's describing in the early church is that uh, because of the shared experience they had knowing and following Jesus, seeing his death and resurrection, and then pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, they were just connected, they were united, they shared life, they shared everything, they were together. But it didn't take very long uh, for them to experience some friction and even division in their relationships. Take a look at this, Acts chapter 15, just halfway through the book of Acts, we're told that there arose a sharp disagreement, and this is between Paul and Barnabas, so that they separated from each other. Now, a little background, just prior to this, uh, leading up to Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas had been on a missionary journey together. They had gone and taken the gospel beyond Jerusalem and began to fulfill Jesus' mandate, Acts chapter 1, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of of the earth, and they had begun to see some initial success in that when some of the division uh, around the gospel message they were proclaiming uh, drew them back to Jerusalem and then even caused them to separate. We're told that Barnabas took Mark, probably the author of the Gospel of Mark, along with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. Now, the reason that there was this disagreement we learned earlier was that John Mark had uh, quit the initial journey. He had uh, went back home, and Paul didn't like that. And so it seems like a minor thing, 
but it's an initial crack that was forming within the Christian community. And, and as we read through the rest of the New Testament, what we find is that these cracks began to emerge in other places as well. So if you're familiar with the New Testament, for example, the books that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, there's a lot of conflict in that church, including over uh, relationships that were appropriate and inappropriate, including a division between the upper class and the lower class, the wealthy and the common worker, even over something as simple as when and how they took communion together, there was disagreement and division. The book of Galatians, uh, the next one following Corinthians, Paul writes specifically to address a division within the church over those who came from a Jewish background and those from a Gentile background. And the Jewish believers and and some who were connected to them were insisting that they follow through in all of the rites, rituals, and traditions from the Old Testament. And the Gentile believers were saying, whoa, 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 we didn't sign up for all of that. And so there was division there as well. The book of Ephesians is where we're going to turn our attention to, and and that was also written by Paul uh, to the church in Ephesus to talk a bit about divisions within the church, within the Gentile Jewish community, and within the church as a whole. And so we're going to start by looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, where Paul lays out one of the primary root causes of brokenness in our relationships, including among Christians. He says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now, I know this verse pretty well because my mom, when I was a kid, used to quote it to us all the time. It was a different translation. She said, let's let nothing unwholesome come out of your mouths, right? So maybe I was normal as a middle school, high school boy. I don't know. Uh, But uh, apparently there were some times where I would say things to or about my siblings that maybe were crossing the line, right? And if you parents, you can probably relate to this. And, And even as adults, we know that sometimes we're quick to speak and, 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 and not slow uh, with our words and careful with them. Paul, in this translation from the ESV, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And then a few verses later, gives us a few examples of what that might look like. Ephesians 4.31, you see the words in bold here. They might be words that are bitter or filled with wrath and anger, clamor, slander, or even malice. These words, Paul says, have the ability to corrupt us and our relationships. Now, the word he uses uh, that's translated corrupted is often used in association with food that spoils, right? So I got a picture here of some bananas, and I have an example here. Sarah and I, like I said, we just got back from our spring break trip, so I had to do a grocery one yesterday, and I got a Chiquita banana from Guatemala, right? Um, and, uh, and if you've ever gone uh, grocery shopping, you know that there's a range of opinion on what the appropriate ripeness is for a, gran- for a banana, right? Some people prefer it a little more on the green side, right? I know that's true with some friends in our house, and not just because... We're Michigan State fans, and we uh, always like green. Uh, But you'd like a little more tart, maybe a little less sweet. And others of you would prefer it to be more on the yellow side, right? Because that feels uh, a little more ripe to you. And so that's just a matter of preference, right? What's what's ready to be eaten. But just imagine if you were to take a banana like this, and if, if I were just to start to squeeze it, or if I were to try to bend it, Uh, before I was ready to eat it? Or what if I was going to pretend like it was a football and start throwing it around or throw it on the ground and stop? What would happen to it? It starts to get bruised, right? It starts to turn brown. It might even turn mushy on the inside. 
And all of you parents and grandparents, you've had this conversation with your kids. It's still good and safe to eat, even if there's a few brown spots. But, but maybe you've had a banana that's really actually gone bad. Maybe it got left outside in the sun for a few days or in a hot car in the summer in a lunchbox, right, that didn't get brought in and taken care of. Or, or maybe it just got left somewhere in your kitchen for days or even weeks, and then you found it. And it's beyond that dark but still good to eat phase, and it's into that. It's starting to stink and maybe melt inside of it, and uh, maybe there's some mold growing on it. That's when it is corrupted, right? It's rotten. It's unsafe to eat or even to use in making banana bread. That's the sense we get when Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. It's the kind of words that we use to or about others that actually does harm to them and to our relationships. Now, I can imagine for some of you, you've experienced this, where you've been the victim of corrupting talk, of slander, of harsh words, of gossip. Just think, for example, have, have you ever had this experience where somebody shows you a text thread or an email that wasn't sent to you, but it was about you and it was unkind? Or have you ever had the experience where you walk up at a playground or after school or after church or in some sort of social circle and you enter into a group of people talking and then it goes silent and people start to get awkward and they can't look at you in the eyes and you realize they were just talking about me. Maybe you've had that experience and you know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of some of this corrupting, rotten language. It hurts, right? It steals your sense of peace and confidence and self-worth and joy. And it does incredible damage. And you would think that among fellow followers of Jesus, we would be immune to this, but we're not. Even in Christian homes and communities, the devil has found his way into words and into conversations to divide and to destroy through these corrupting talk. Maybe you've not just been on the receiving end, but you've actually been on the giving end. Maybe you've found yourself hurt by someone else and what they've said or done to you, or you just disagree with them or don't like what's been said or done. And so your immediate thought is, well, I need to get back. I need to give them a little uh, ounce of pain. I need to let them know how it feels. And, or maybe you justify it by saying, if I just start talking about this person to the group of friends, I'm, I'm going to protect them from getting hurt. But what you're really doing is you're trying to exact an ounce of pain as if causing more hurt through the words you're saying about them will actually make you feel better, but it never does. These kind of corrupting words can slip out of our mouths and wreak incredible havoc in our relationships. So what are we to do? Let's go back to verse 29. The first part of it we saw already, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
Paul does just, doesn't just tell us what not to do. He also adds to it what we should do. So, so stop the words that come out that tear down, hurt, and destroy and start using your words to build up. My mom would say, let nothing unwholesome come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful to others. So if you were to put a filter over your face, a filter on your words and say, if this is not actually going to help, encourage, build up, and do good to others, then it shouldn't even exit my mouth. Only such as helpful for building up. Now, in verse 31, we saw this already, uh, Paul said what the words are that we should avoid, right? Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And in the next verse, kind of like in verse 29, he gives us what we should do. But instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What is the key for us to experience restoration in some of these broken relationships? What can we say and do to undo some of the hurt and pain that's caused by careless or corrupting words? The heart of it, uh, the transformative part of this is what I have there in bold, forgiving one another. Now, let's not make a mistake here or glance over this too quickly. What Paul's calling us to do what we're talking about today isn't easy. It's hard work. It begins first by confessing our sins to God and seeking His forgiveness, but then it's finished when we do the same with whoever has been hurt by what we have said. It means seeking out those who have been hurt by what you have said and done and saying, I'm sorry. And to do this, requires an incredible amount of humility on our parts, soul-searching to acknowledge and admit, yeah, I went too far, I said too much, I did it in anger, and I, I thought it would help, but it actually caused more pain. It takes humility and vulnerability on our parts. Paul says, be kind, tender-hearted, and forgive. If we want to undo the hurt and pain caused by careless and corrupting words, it starts first with asking God for forgiveness, and then it's finished by asking the same of those that we have hurt. The good news is that when God calls us to this, He does so knowing full well our limitations, our weaknesses, and the brokenness of our own sinful nature. And so He goes first. Remember this? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19 says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Right? God's not going to ask us to do something that he hasn't done first. And so what he says is, for you to experience restoration and healing in your, in your marriage, with your classmates and friends, with your coworkers, with your neighbors with your greater Christian community, if the world itself is going to experience this kind of restoration, hope, and healing, it has to begin with God bringing it into our experience and into our reality. And so he says, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to send my one and only son to suffer, die, and rise from the dead. That's what the season of Lent is always pointing us towards, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And in this way, I am going to willingly set aside 
my right to exact punishment and revenge on you, and instead I'm going to pour that out on my son. And so in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God takes upon himself all of the guilt and the shame, the punishment and the pain for your careless and corrupting words, for the brokenness in all of the relationships we have, and he pours it out on Jesus. And in this way, he reconciles us to him. That's where it always starts. He begins by repairing our relationship with himself. And then he says, and I want you to go, and be my vessels, my conduits of mercy and grace into a world that desperately needs it. So how do we do this? How do we do this hard but necessary work of seeking forgiveness from others? We remember that, that we forgive as God has forgiven us. We may not want to in the moment. We may not even feel all that forgivey. I'm not sure if that's a word, but it feels right in this context, Right? We may not emotionally feel like we're ready to say, I'm sorry and hear words of forgiveness, but God says, um, here's the way you should go. I've modeled it for you. I've gone first. Now follow me and just watch and see how it brings hope and healing and life to the relationships around you that are broken. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, to close today, um, there's a story that's told of a preschooler, um, not from here, um, who was learning the Lord's Prayer. And somehow or another, as often happens with kids, she didn't quite get the words to the part of the prayer about forgiving others as they've forgiven us quite right. And so what she said, just this is what she heard, was, um, uh, forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who fill up our trash baskets. Right, kind of close to trespasses. That's a weird word for a preschooler, right? But there's almost some truth to it, right? To a full trash basket. We do things in our relationships that just kind of throw trash and brokenness and hurt into the trash baskets of others. And what is God calling us to do? Paul says, put it away. Repent. Turn and go a new direction. You might even say, just empty out the trash and start fresh and start new. And that's what God is inviting us into as his people to seek not revenge but reconciliation. To, to not try to get punishment for what has been done to us but trust that God will handle all of that and instead to forgive as we've been forgiven fully, freely, and completely and in that way experience the hope and healing the restoration and reconciliation that God has given us first in Christ and now gives us to share with others as well. And our hope and prayer is that from the relationships we inhabit and out to all the world, that kind of hope and healing will come. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.